everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. So we've been uh, talking over the last few weeks about uh, how tiring and how exhausting and how everybody's just kind of done, right? And, uh, and so back about, I don't know, about a month ago uh, when we were planning for teaching for the fall, uh, we didn't know that we were going to be in this circumstance that we're in as a, as a city and as a province uh, right now like we are and how things would change when we set our course for this new series for the fall back a month ago before any of these considerations and restrictions. And uh, the title of the series is called Not Done Yet. <laughs> and the subtitle is As Long As You Are Still Breathing, God has a plan for your life. And so for today, I've, I've been preparing this wonderful teaching, one of my absolute favorite Bible stories in the Old Testament, about a woman who went through difficult times. She lost her loved ones. She lost everything that she had, and yet she remained faithful to God. And later in her life, God restored to her everything that she had lost. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I'm so excited to share it with you today, except yet again this week, God spoke to me and changed course. If we've learned anything over the last 18 months is this, all of our plans can change in a minute. Can I get an amen? Yes? And uh, this week with all the rise in COVID cases and, and hospitalizations and the resulting changes in regulations, uh, this week I, I felt God laid on my heart to talk about something totally different. We had a board meeting on Thursday night uh, to go ahead and chart a course based on what little we knew at that point for the direction of Sundays for the coming uh, season because they had changed things a week ago on Wednesday. We did that Thursday night, and then on Friday, they changed everything again. And so, uh, so we, we've been busy this week. In the midst of it all, though, I felt God lay on my heart that, see, Done Not Yet was intended to be a series about you and what God wants to do in your life. That as long as you're still breathing, no matter what you've been through or what you are going through, as long as you're still breathing, God has a plan for you. But I felt led today to talk about more than just you, but to talk about us, the church. And ask the question, is God done with his church in Canada? Or are there greater things yet to come? And I want to suggest to you today that the rumors of the death of the church in Canada have been greatly exaggerated. Now, now, now don't get me wrong. Churches have been through hard times and a lot of types of Christianity have struggled. 
in recent days. But we are not done yet because for those who pursue Jesus and the foundation of his word, God can breathe new life and vitality into his people in this tired and weary season. You know, three weeks ago, we were, we were rocking and rolling, baby. Three years ago, or three weeks ago, uh, when we had kickoff Sunday, uh, the, you know, the, we were just, the house was packed, the energy was through the roof, the, 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 you, could, you almost had to cover your ears because people were singing so loud. I mean, like, the, we were, new people were signing up for small groups, things are rolling. And yet again, just like for the church in your life, many times it feels like the rug gets pulled right out from underneath you. And uh, I just wonder, and, and, and I, I don't need any big clap responses or affirmation. I just want you to resonate with this question deep in your spirit. Because this question has nothing to do with restrictions or regulations or sickness in our community or anything else. The question I want to ask you deep down in your spirit is, who here wants revival? There there are about 15 of you who don't know how to follow instructions. No, no, I'm kidding. No, I'm I'm teasing. A time of renewal time of power and the move of the Spirit. Like we've experienced in the past and we can experience again. And I think that anybody who cares about Jesus would say, yes, Joel, that's what we need to pray for. That's what we want to see. Here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. I think there are two obstacles that can prohibit God from being able to bring revival in our land. Two obstacles that we're going to talk about today, and number one is sin. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And so this is a letter to the church in Ephesus. And the Lord says to the church, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So he says, you've done all the right stuff. You've been faithful. You've stood up from the truth. You've stood up for all the good stuff and you've not grown weary. You kept pushing forward. But verse 4, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You see, it is possible to do the right things and think that we are doing the right things, but not to do it in love. Jesus says, consider how far you have fallen. Repent 
and do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says to the church, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, nourishment. And where are we nourished? From the word of God, right? And, and Jesus, the bread of life. It says, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Are we growing up in our salvation? Or are we just receiving Christ and just kind of getting stuck there? That we need to grow up in our salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And that is how God builds his church, the house of God. As we rid ourselves of sin and confess and, and receive the forgiveness of Jesus as we fall down on our knees and call out for him to make us pure and holy like Jesus. That is the message of the gospel. And it continues in the next verse. Peter says in verse four, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, stones are being built into a spiritual house, built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Did you know that you are a priest? The priesthood of believers offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Why do we submit to Jesus? Because his love comes in and begins to change everything around here. That's what we mean when we say, because love changes everything to make us pure and holy for his glory. See, when we talk about love, we talk about it in a different way than the world talks about it. The world talks about love and it uses it to say things like, I love hockey and I love hamburgers. Or people use the word love as a synonymous word for sex, but the reality is the love of Jesus is about a purity and a holiness that makes us like him. So why do we submit to Jesus? Because his love changes things in us, and I wonder if the acceptance and tolerance of sin in our lives the acceptance and, and tolerance of sin in the church is what leads to weakness and hinders revival. Imagine what God could do with his church if we would fall on our knees and say, Lord, make us holy like Jesus. And the second obstacle to revival goes along with it. Why are so many churches struggling in North America? Well, near the end of his time on earth, listen to what Jesus prayed for his church. John 17, beginning in verse 20, Jesus said, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe their message. So who is Jesus talking about. He says, I pray not only for these disciples who are here with me right now as he was praying 
all those years ago as he walked on the earth and looked around at the, the apostles and the disciples who had been following him. But he says, but I am also now praying for all of those who are going to believe their message in all of the generations yet to come. And so in this prayer, what Jesus is doing is literally looking forward 2,000 years into the future. And he sees us here in 2021. He sees all these great Christians and in all of these great churches across this great land. And he sees us and he prays for us in the midst of COVID and in the midst of fear and in the midst of division and in the midst of government relations and, and restrictions and all the things that are tearing at the fabric of our society right now. And here is what Jesus prays for his church. Verse 21, he prays that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus prayed for oneness. Just as the Father and the Son are one, that we in the church would be one. Another word for that is unity, right? Now, sometimes we mistake what unity actually means. Unity does not mean unison. When you think of music, unison is when everybody sings the exact same note all the time. But harmony is when we sing the same thing, but in our own tune and melody that, that fits with the song and the rhythm. It's called harmony or diversity within unity. And so unity doesn't necessarily mean that we all think the same things all the time. Unity doesn't necessarily mean that we, that we, as Christians, have to look alike or talk alike or dress alike or sing alike or act alike, which is a good thing because I don't want to dress like some of you. I, I don't want to, you know, be into all the same stuff that you're into. And you're like, well, Joel, good, because I don't want to look like you either. Not everybody wants a, a, a bald, skinny, white-bearded pastor who tells corny jokes all the time. Like, you like it, I hope, but not everybody does. <laughs> By the way, have you ever heard about the woman? Who was crossing a bridge and she saw a man about to jump. Let me read it to you. She tried to stop the man from jumping off the bridge. She said, brother, you need to know that God loves you. And a tear came to his eye. And she asked, what do you believe? Are you a Christian, a Jew, an atheist? And the guy said, I'm a Christian. She said, oh, me too. She, she said, are you Protestant or Catholic? And the guy who was about to jump off the bridge said, well, well, I'm Protestant. And she said, me too. What denomination? He said, Northern Baptist. She said, wow, me too. But then she eyed him suspiciously. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. She said, well, call Ripley's, believe it or not. But, but wait, are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist or Northern Conservative Reformed Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist. She said, oh, wow, me too. But Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Eastern, Eastern region? He said, oh, I'm Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great 
Lakes region. She said, this is amazing. By now, the guy has climbed down off the edge. But she says, no, 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 wait. Are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Great Lakes region of 1879 or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lake regions of 1912? He said, I'm from the Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region of 1912. She shouted, die, you heretic, and pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> See, we, we live in a world of division where if people don't agree with us on every little point, we're ready to push them off the bridge. We call it cancel culture. I, I don't have any time for people who, who disagree with me. It's kind of the common sentiment in our culture. And so we belittle one another and make judgments about the motives of other, of other people. I, I had an interesting thing that happened uh, this week on Monday along with a, a, a number of other pastors across our province who were trying to give some context to, uh, to the government about what exactly makes churches different than bars and restaurants and concerts. Because a lot, you know, don't exactly understand. They think it's kind of all the same. And we talked about some of the things that we do, like celebrate recovery and grief share and, and mentoring teenagers, and the list goes on and on. It's not just some gathering where people come and listen to music and, and leave, that there is significant life transformation that, that takes place when the church is the church, not just coming to gather, but coming to grow and going out to make a difference. And that apart from the government, that we, we are the largest organization helping to, to fight the ravishing effects uh, in, in our communities across the province. And so a number of us were in communication with the province this week. And, uh, and I know that they, they hurt us and they're in a difficult spot. And, and I feel like in what they ended up coming down with on Friday, that they were trying to come up with a compromise that they felt like would work the best for everybody that they could, because they're in a hard spot, and I understand that. What's interesting is I, I, I sent it to a number of our uh, politicians from across the province in an, in an email, and I heard back from one or maybe two, and I'm, I'm sure that they all read it, but I know what it's like as a leader that I get complaint emails on a daily basis too. And every day I get 10, 15 people saying, you need to watch this two-hour video that'll finally tell you everything you didn't know, pastor, because I know you've not paid any attention to this, so I'm going to let you know what you ought to know. I get those all day long, every single day, and I can't respond to them all the time. I get it. So I wasn't upset about that. But what was interesting is, is Friday night and after they had had the press conference, I took that same email list and I hit reply all to all those same people again. And this time I sent to them a message that said something like this. Thank you for the hard work that you're doing for our province. You know, we may not agree all the time, but I know that you're making hard, hard decisions every single day and it's a thankless and tiring job. It doesn't matter what you do whether it's right or wrong, people are going to be upset at you. And I want to pray blessing over you. I want to pray that God will give you wisdom and discernment for the difficult choices that you have to make. And I want to pray that God will nurture your spirit and protect your family in this time of great struggle. And what's amazing is almost every single one of those 
politicians in the next 24 hours hit reply and said, wow, thank you. You want to get people to listen to you? Instead of screaming at them, how about listen to what they're going through? Put yourself in the, the difficult position that, that they're in. And as Christians, what we have to understand is Christians fighting and disagreeing is nothing new. It's not. Sometimes we think this is the only time that there ever, ever been divisions in the church. But in the New Testament, did you know that they were fighting over things like what kind of food was appropriate to eat? I'm not going to say it's the same thing, but it's, they thought that if you ate certain things that it would defile your body. And so you had to, some thought you, that you should do this and others thought that you should do it that way. And both thought they were honoring to God and there were divisions in the church on the decisions that they made concerning food. They, they, they fought over issues like which day to maintain as your holy day. Some said that we need to, to kind of try to find ways to work with culture and celebrate God in the midst of it. And others said, no, every day is the same. And and there were divisions over that within the early church in the New Testament. They fought over whether to get circumcised or not circumcised. And I'm not saying it's the same stuff as we're dealing with today. But I am saying they were arguing about whether or not it was appropriate to get a medical procedure. Right? And some of you may have not thought of this reality that these were issues back then that could literally get you kicked out of your family. They could literally get you kicked out of your church. And these were things that were tearing at the social fabric of the early church. And when you read through the New Testament, what you find is all the way through the New Testament, once you get through the first four Gospels that tell the stories of the life of, the, of Jesus, and then once you get past that, you get into these letters after Acts, when you get into to, to Romans and Corinthians and the letters to the various uh, apostles and churches and Ephesians and Galatians. And, and, and as you go through these letters, you find that a lot of the content of these letters is actually helping them navigate these divisions and conflicts that existed within the first century church. And so Paul tackles this head on. And here's what he says about these conflicts. In Romans 14, verse 10, he said, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? And then in verse 1, he says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Because all of us think our faith is strong and somebody who disagrees with us, their faith is weak, right? He says, but accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. In other words, matters that are not clearly established in Scripture. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, I'm not going to say anything about vegans or vegetarians having a weaker faith than us who like steak and venison, but no, I'm, I'm just teasing. I, apparently nobody laughed. That was an inappropriate joke. I'm sorry. Verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat any, eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. 
Verse four, who, who were you to judge someone else's servant to their own master servant stand or fall? And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, and another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, and whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God, for none of us, live our, uh, our, us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. It's not a, in other words, it's not so much about us as we think it is. Verse 8, he says, For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. And so whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. In other words, Paul says, as Christians, sometimes we get confused about what the core of the gospel is actually about. And let me clue you in. The core of the gospel is seldom about what we spend 99% of our time focusing on and talking about and, and, and commenting on online. I wonder sometimes why it seems like so few, not that there aren't people coming to Christ, there are, there are salvations that are happening on a regular basis, people coming to Christ. But I wonder why does it seem like so much fewer these days? And I wonder if it has to do with two things, believers in isolation, not operating in spiritual community together, whether it's in person or online, and only surrounding themselves with those who they agree with. And number two, because it seems like so much of our focus as Christians is about things today that are secondary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which in fact is the only thing that can save you and prepare you for your inevitable death, because we're all going to face that day sooner or later. See, here's the one thing and one thing only that it's about. It is Jesus as our salvation with Scripture as our foundation. Everything else is secondary. Let me say it again. It's about Jesus as our salvation with Scripture as our foundation. And so whenever you come across Christians from different cultural, cultural and, and racial and, and denominational backgrounds and, and, and in all the midst of the diversity of thought on a lot of the pressing issues of our day, how do we know, how do we determine if a person really is on the same team with us on Team Jesus? Because you know as well as I do that there are a lot of groups out there that are wackadoodled like stuff, Right? We all know that. And so how do we know whether we're on the same team or not? And I think I want to give you a question today that, that probably helps more than anything else. And it's really, really simple. Here's the determining question. Ask, what Jesus do you serve? In other words, simply ask, what, what was the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth? Because the answer to that one question tells you whether or not we are on 
the same team connected to the Jesus of the Bible. Because many groups try to turn Christianity into something else, something to fit their own agenda. But the answer to this one question tells us if in fact we are on the same team, and it's this, what Jesus do you serve. Author Max Licato writes about living in fellowship with other churches. Let me read to you this from his book, In the Grip of Grace. He says, God has enlisted us in his navy and placed us on his ship. This boat has one purpose, to carry us safely to the other shore. This is no cruise ship. It is a battleship. We are not called to a life of leisure. We are called to a life of service. Each of us has a different task. Some concerned with those who are drowning are snatching people from the water. Others are occupied with the enemy, so they man the canons of prayer and worship. Still others devote themselves to the crew, feeding and training the crew members. Though different, we are the same. Each can tell of a personal encounter with the captain, for each has received a personal call. He found us among the shanties of the seaport and invited us to follow him. Our faith was born at the sight of his love, and so we went. We each followed him across the gangplank of his grace and onto the same boat. There is one captain and one destination. Though the battle is fierce, the boat is safe, for our captain is God. This ship will not sink. For that there is no concern. There is concern, however, regarding the disharmony of the crew. When we first boarded, we assumed that the crew was made up of others just like us. But as we have wandered these decks, we have encountered Curious converts with curious appearances. Some wear uniforms that we've never seen. Sporting styles we've never witnessed. Why do you look the way you do, we ask them. Funny, they replied, I was about to ask you the same thing. The variety of dress is not nearly as disturbing as the plethora of opinions. There's a group, for example, who clusters every morning for serious study. They promote rigid discipline and somber expressions, serving the captain as serious business. They explain it's no coincidence that they tend to congregate around the stern. There's another regiment deeply devoted to prayer. Not only do they believe in prayer, they believe you must kneel. And for that reason, you always know that they are at the bow of the ship. And then there are a few who staunchly believe that only real wine should be used in the Lord's Supper, so you'll find them where on the port side. Still another group has positioned themselves near the engine. They spend hours examining the nuts and bolts of the boat. They've been known to go below deck and not come up for days. They are occasionally criticized by those who linger on the top deck, feeling the wind in their hair and the sun in their face. It's not what you learn, those topsiders argue. It's what you feel that matters. And oh, how we tend to cluster. Some think once you're on the boat, you can't get off. Others say you'd be foolish to jump off overboard, but the choice is yours. Some believe you volunteer for service. Others believe you were destined for service before the ship was even built. 
Some predict a storm of great tribulation that will strike before we dock. Others say it won't hit until after we are safely ashore. There are those who speak to the captain in a personal language. There are those who think such languages are extinct. There are those who think the officers should wear robes. There are those who think there should be no officers at all. And then there are those who think we should all be officers and we should all wear robes. And oh, how we tend to cluster. And then there is the issue of the weekly meeting at which the captain is thanked and his words are read. All agree on its importance, but few agree on its nature. Some want it loud and exciting. Others want it quiet. Some want ritual. Others want spontaneity. Some want to celebrate so they can meditate. Others meditate so they can celebrate. Some want a meeting for those who have gone overboard and others want to reach those overboard but without going overboard and neglecting those on board. And oh, how we tend to cluster. The consequence is a rocky boat. There's trouble on deck. Fights have broken out. Sailors have refused to speak to each other. There have even been times when one group refused to acknowledge the presence of others on the ship. Most tragically, some, adrift at sea, have chosen not to board the boat. Some, adrift at sea, have chosen not to board this boat because they have seen the quarreling of the sailors. And oh, how we tend to cluster. You see, the answer to the, to the question, this one question tells us what we need to know when it comes to other Christians and other churches. Are we on the same team? You simply ask, what Jesus do you serve? Are they serving the Jesus who is the living word, who was in the beginning, who was with God and who is God? Are they serving the, the Jesus who left the glory of heaven, was born of a virgin, and took on the form of a man and walked among us, facing every trial and temptation that we could ever face and yet was without sin? Are they serving the Jesus who said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again? Are they serving the Jesus who said, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but will have everlasting life? Are they serving the Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. Are they serving the Jesus by whose wounds we are healed, who died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins? And three days later, he rose again with victory over sin and death and hell. Are they serving the Jesus who ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, seated at the throne of glory, who is exalted over every ruler and authority, over all power and dominion, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. 
before whom every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Are they serving the Jesus whom the angels worship in the throne room of heaven declaring worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise because listen, if that is the Jesus they are serving, then they know my Jesus. And listen, we don't have to agree on every little point of doctrine because guess what? I don't even agree with myself sometimes. There are things that I taught 15 years ago that I can't believe that I taught. As I learn and grow in scripture and, and in maturity and perspective and listen, we don't have to agree on some of the social and medical issues that are dividing our society right now. We don't have to agree on music styles or approaches or what Scripture calls disputable matters. But we do have to unite under the cross of Jesus Christ who died to take the punishment for our sins and rose again to bring us new life. In Max Lucado's illustration of the church, he says, God's ship is a grand vessel just as a ship has many rooms, so God's kingdom has room for many opinions and styles. But just as a ship has one deck, God's kingdom has a common ground, the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. To see Jesus lifted high, to see Jesus lifted high as a banner of salvation across Atlantic Canada and around the world, I wonder how many of you want to be part of a church like that. Amen? Let's, let's stand together. And I think what it would be appropriate for us to do is to start, first of all, in a time of prayer and, and confession, to pray for the churches here in our city and across our province and across Canada and around the world for believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, Father, together, Lord, we, we thank you that we are not on our own, that we are just one local expression of the body of Christ, your church. And so, Lord, we pray for Baptist churches. We pray for our Nazarene brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for Salvation Army folks and those who are part of United Churches and Pentecostal and Charismatic Churches and Independent Churches and 
different types of Catholics and Presbyterians, Lord, we know that in every group there are some who are probably kind of out in the left field and there are others who are honestly trying to pursue you and live upon the foundation of your word. And Lord, we know that's probably true here even among us in this local expression. But God, wherever they are on that scale, Lord, I pray that you would draw them unto yourself believing that you are not done with them. Lord, we, we call upon you for revival, even not just even in in-person gatherings, but even through the power of what you've done online, God. So many of the people over the last year who have come to Christ through our church and, and grown in their faith have done it completely online from places around the world. And we know we're not the only church that has experienced that. Lord, you are breaking down boundaries and doing amazing things. Even though this season is uncomfortable, even though this season feels like it is filled with darkness and division, Lord, we know that in the darkness, that is the opportunity for the light of Christ to shine even brighter in this world. And so, Lord, let it start with us. Lord, that we would evaluate the words of our mouth, the inclinations of our heart. Lord, anything in us that does not bring you glory, anything in us that is contrary to the holiness and the perfection of your love that comes from Jesus, Lord, shine a spotlight on it so that we can see it clearly, so that we can quit trying to hide our sin as if somehow you can't see it. God, we call out to you. Just right now, everybody here in the room, everybody with us online, just invite God to speak to you. Lord, is there something you want to say to me today? Is there something I need to confess to you today? I just wonder, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing that I'm going to do myself, because I think God showed something to me, and so I'm going to ask you the same thing. If there's something that you feel like God spoke to you that you need to confess and lay before his feet and ask him to come and purify you, along with me as I confess. Would you be willing to raise your hand and say, I'm ready to pray and give it to you, God? All around this room, on the floor and in the balcony, just hold it up. Everybody online right now, maybe in your living room or wherever you might be, just hold up your hand. Maybe in the comments, you could just type, I give it to you now, Lord. Heavenly Father, you have seen those who in humility 
we have raised our hand to you to say, Lord, we confess that if revival is going to start anywhere, if miracles and, and healings and salvations and a new move of your spirit are going to start anywhere, let it start with us. Let it start with us, Lord, as we lay down our sin and our selfishness and our fears. and Lord, we lay them down before you. Have your way. And Lord, through us, may a movement of your spirit begin where we begin to shine a light in the darkness. We're in this world where, where people are so ready to attack. Lord, that we would stand in contrast to that. That we would speak blessing and life and hope out of a conviction in our hearts for what you have called us to be. Like Jesus, give us the wisdom to know when to speak and, and when to be silent. Like Jesus, give us the courage to know when to stand up in the face of opposition and when to be silent and allow you to fight our battles for us. Lord, we need that wisdom because sometimes we don't always make the right choices. We need your wisdom to know how to creatively walk in these challenging days to, to declare your message and grow in our faith. Lord, we need your wisdom to be able to, to, to disciple our families and raise up a generation who will go out and be different from this world. And Lord, we believe that when we live as surrendered servants, that there truly are greater things still to come, that you are not done with us yet. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.